the truth is we're going to now look at Acts chapter 11. And I want us to see something in the early church because it wasn't about buildings. It was about people. So Acts chapter 11, I'm starting with verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, I want you to underline that phrase, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now Saul, two chapters earlier, had given his heart to Christ, at one time persecuting the church, now preaching the gospel boldly, even though at times it risked his life. So Barnabas is searching for him, and he and it says Barnabas, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The first thing that I want us to, us to see is that each of them that left had to step, there we go, wow, that was a big one, had to step out of their comfort zone. This was not God's desire that they be persecuted but even though they were forced to do what they did not want to, they had to leave family, they had to leave homes, they had to leave friends. They'd grown, many of them had grown up in Jerusalem, but they had to, because of the persecution, specifically by Saul himself, because of this persecution, they had to leave, they had to flee for their lives. And now in going, spreading out, telling people the gospel they now were on a mission. Just like Abraham. Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans to go to a land that God was going to share with him. I remember back in Virginia Beach, God spoke to both Meredith's, Meredith's and my heart when we were fasting and praying, God, what do you want us to do? An opportunity had come up, had come up for me to be able to come on as part-time pastor at a church we were, we were at. But as we prayed, God was speaking to our hearts, no, that he was actually calling us on. And, Ju and Katie Beth, though I can't remember how old she was, um, wow, she, she, was, she was young. She was eight, you know, seven years old, She's about seven years old. And she said, Daddy, we're like Abraham, aren't we? God's calling us on to a place that we don't know. I mean, none, we didn't, we'd never lived in Orlando. I don't think I'd ever visited Orlando, but God had called us on. God was in this church. God was in what he was doing as, as Satan was seeking to persecute the church. God's hand was still in it, and he was moving the pieces on the board, if you will, to be able to accomplish his set purpose even though they had been forced out. And I want us to see that even though 
regardless of the circumstances and the reasons why we are leaving and moving on, we are still a body of Christ. God's hand is in this because that is the nature of God to be able to place his hand of blessing on his people. And so I want us to see that this is just like us. As we're moving on, God's favor is upon us. I need us to see this. There are certain advantages of being here in this building. We get to meet Saturday nights, and that's an opportunity for us, I guess, to sleep in Sunday mornings. Saturday nights happens to be an opportunity for many people, uh, especially those in their 20s. Um, they many times don't make it to a Sunday morning service, and they actually enjoy coming to a Saturday night. When we met here before meeting Saturday nights, we discovered that. There are new neighborhoods for us to reach out to. There's greater opportunity for us to link arms with Safe Harbor in unity. Joint services, joint outreaches. The other pastors um, who are a part of the uh, church collective, that we, you, you met many of the, the people in their churches at the picnic back in April. This is just an opportunity for us to move forward. Please don't see this as us stepping back. God is moving us forward. We have opportunities with regard to, um, actually, we have very little setup to do now. Very little setup. There's so much favor that God has blessed us with, with Safe Harbor, with, this, with the pastor here, Franklin. I, I still serve on their board. I've been doing that now for over a year. God is, God is doing something, and he's doing something very good. I want us to see this. I want us to move on, though. Number, the second thing I want us to see is that they told the message everywhere to others, even Gentiles. Initially, they only thought the gospel was for the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was born and raised in Judea, in, in Jerusalem, excuse me, in Israel. And they just figured, well, you know, the Messiah, he's going to come and he's going to rescue the Jews. But they began to realize this good news this message that they're telling people, this is for everyone. So let me ask you a question. Who did this? Who went to all the different cities and eventually in Antioch? Was it the apostles? No, it was not. Was it the pastors, the leaders? No, it was not. Even Barnabas, who is not an apostle, he's in Jerusalem. The apostles, the leaders, they're in Jerusalem. And I'm not saying that that was wrong. I, we we're not told, but they stayed there still as a hub, but it was the others. It says some of the others went to Antioch. They weren't pastors. They weren't spiritual leaders that we are aware of. They were just like every single one of us. They went because they, they went on with a vision. Let's understand, they were uprooted from their homeland. Many of them born and raised in Jerusalem. Now they're moving out of their comfort zone. And what are they doing? Are they complaining like the Israelites leaving Egypt? Absolutely not. They were encouraged. This was hard for them. Some of them had lost relatives, family members. This persecution wasn't just the type of persecution that we experience in America. Put that, put this type of of persecution in which the left or those who are opposed to Christ put that on steroids. People are being persecuted. People are breaking into homes, arresting them, and they're being sentenced to death. They're dying. 
Paul, part of Paul's testimony, whose name was Saul, that were mentioned, that's mentioned here, part of his testimony is that he was, he would go and he would have people arrested and some of them would die. He persecuted the church and some of them died. Relatives of these people no doubt died. As they're leaving though, what kind of heart do they have? It is still focused outward. They still want to reach the lost. They're not discouraged. I'm sure that they don't want to leave, but their focus is still on the kingdom. What are they doing? They are telling the message. Later on, it talks about that message that it's the good news. Church, we have the good news. The good news, if you're a believer today, if your life has been changed, it's been changed because of the gospel, because of who Jesus is. Jesus Christ came to be able to win us in this relationship with God himself so that we, even in persecution, can still boldly declare who Jesus is, why he came. The the Father's heart is to rescue even them. It was to rescue Saul, the greatest persecutor of the church. And that's what God did and changed his life forever. See, that was their vision. That was the message that they declared. The good news. Can I ask you, is the gospel really good news? Is the message really good news to you? Because if it is, that means it's good news for your next door neighbor too. It means it's good news for the purse, for the bank teller and for the grocery clerk and the bagger at the grocery grocery store. Yeah, that for, for the person working behind the deli. May used to work behind the deli there at Publix. And she, she would always have opportunities to tell people about Jesus. May is one of our little evangelists. She just loves to tell people about Jesus, even bus drivers and whoever she can talk to. This was, May was one of these, some of the others, okay? And she would love to tell people, and I'm going to encourage you, that's, that's her vision. That's what we're about. We've been called to make disciples, Because we're in transition now to a new building, I'm going to encourage us, let's press in so that that is our heart as well. They didn't complain in the face of persecution. They were bold and eager. Galatians 6, 9 says, do not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. Church, at a proper time, we will reap a harvest. The neighbor you're you've been trying to reach my oldest brother years and years like 40 years praying for him and he comes to Christ wow don't become weary in doing good church for at the proper time you will reap harvest in 2nd Samuel chapter 23 I I, want to just It has nothing to do about evangelism, but everything to do about determination. And against all odds, we see this man. His name is Eliezer. He is fighting alongside David. First, I'm going to read to you. It's from 2 Samuel chapter 23, just a few verses, starting with verse 9. But we get this picture of Eliezer as a warrior. He is one of the three mighty men of David. They are fighting against the Philistines. They're in a lentil field, and the others in the army have left 
and it is just Eliezer and David. I can only imagine that they are swords drawn back to back as the Pharise- as the Philistines are coming at them from all different, it's an open field, coming at them from all different directions. And I'm going to read the passage to you now and just focus on one quick phrase here. Next to him was Eliezer, son of Dodai, the Ahohite. Wow, what a name. And as one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered at Pasdamim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated, but he stood his ground. Now David is with him. That's what First Chronicles 16 tells us, talking about the same incident. But he, that is Eliezer, stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. They didn't return to help him because they feared for their lives. Here is a man. He was there to help protect the king, and he fought so hard that that the sword froze in his hand, and they probably had to pry his fingers apart. I don't know how many hundreds... He he slew that day, but you can only imagine this was a Philistine army. It didn't froze in his hand because he was using, you know, some sort of super glue earlier that day, and so it stuck in his hand. Like It didn't freeze because the temperature was so cold out that day. It froze in his hand because he was so dogged, determined, that he refused to give up even though the muscles in his hand had given out. They locked in place. That's the type of dogged determination. That's the type of not growing weary that God is calling us to. No matter what, it is always about the kingdom. It is always about deny self, take up my cross, and follow him daily. That's what it's about. Adoniram Judson, back in the late 1800s, was ministering in a, in a town of Burma, trying to reach the Buddhists there. And he evangelized. No one, for five years, no one had come to Christ. And finally, a man by, from the, uh, a local tribe called the Karen, he came, he had a background, he had murdered somebody, he was out of prison, and he came to work for Adoniram Judson, who was a missionary there. While he was employed there, Kothenbu, this tribesman from the tribe of the Koran gave his heart to Christ. And not to go into all the details, but he, there was a prophetic word that had been amongst his people for thousands of years about a white man bringing a book a, that would have truth in it that they needed to listen to. When Kothan Bu began to preach the gospel to his people, It wasn't a few hundred or a few thousand. It was tens of thousands of people that gave their heart to Christ. This is what perseverance was about. Five years, no fruit. No one gave their hearts to Christ. One man does, and suddenly the gospel explodes. In God's timing, do not become weary, for at the proper time... God will bring a harvest. The last thing that I want us to see is that Barnabas, when you go back to Acts chapter 12, it says Barnabas saw. Now the NIV translates it evidence of 
the grace of God. In the Greek, the word, the phrase, the evidence of is not in there. But I believe that it's helping us understand that when Barnabas came, literally he saw the grace of God, or as the NIV says, the evidence for that grace. Can I ask you, what did he see? What did Barnabas see? So he comes from Jerusalem. Many people are coming to Christ because the Lord's hand is just, it's there. And people are coming to Christ. And I imagine that it is very difficult to preach the gospel at this time in Jerusalem. But the gospel's exploding just a few hundred miles north in Antioch. That's where Barnabas goes. And he gets Saul. And for a year, they teach them the word of God. And the, 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 the scriptures, the gospel, the kingdom of God just explodes. And it says, when he arrived there, he saw the grace of God. People's lives were changed. That's the grace of God. People's lives were changed. And it wasn't just because of what men were doing. This was, a, this was an intervention of God stepping into the human realm and doing what no one can do. That is to change someone's heart like Saul, totally erat- radically changing it. That's what God does. Some of the others had to go. People like you had to go. They, had, they were the ones that had to do it. Some of them shared Jesus. And when Barnabas arrived, he saw the grace of God. You know, we live in a day, honestly, in which many churches rely on what's commonly called the attractional model. It basically taps into and uses a lot of technology and uh, entertainment. Now, I'm not opposed to that type of stuff, okay? God can use anything, church. In all honesty, I've seen young guys come to churches because of the pretty girls there, and they get saved, and their lives are truly transformed. Hey, God can use anything, and we're not going to have girls standing outside. We're not doing that, okay? I'm just saying God can do anything. He can use any means. But the problem is, the human methods that we use, is it possible that we begin to focus on that too much? Do we focus too much on the glitz and the glimmer? Do we focus too much on the technology? I don't always understand the technology. I am not that savvy. I'm not that guy, okay? You, you, you might want to talk with Nathan or some of, the, some of the others who really know computers. That's just not me. But God uses technology. Of course he does. But what happens when the church focuses on that and loses its focus on the grace of God? You have people who end up saying, you know, I, I like what you have here and I want it, but I don't necessarily need Jesus. You know, if we choose to use the methodology that we see in the Bible, that we see in the book of Acts and in the letters of Paul and so on, we begin to see the greater opportunity for the grace of God to step in and change people's lives because the focus is the gospel. And the gospel isn't just for saving people. The gospel is a part of your life every day. It touches on every aspect of our lives, church. Everything in the Bible, old and new, it all goes back to the gospel. 
It has to. Be, even before it got created, man, the plan of salvation was in place. God's entire intention for all of human history is what took place 2,000 years ago. The cross and the resurrection, the gospel. That's what this is all about. And it, it doesn't just save me. It sustains me every day. We always go back to the gospel. When you look at the early church, what do we see? Here's what you're going to discover. And again, I am not opposed to entertainment or technology or other methods. Handing out water bottles at you know, intersections. Okay, God can use anything. But this is what the early church focused on. The early church focused on being the church. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship. Not just to fellowship as a concept, but the fellowship. That's the body. They were devoted to one another. And prayer. This is what they gave themselves to. The very next verse in Acts 2.43 says the apostles were doing miracles. People encountered, had an event with God as God just chose sovereignly to do miracles in their midst. Another thing that they did in the very next verse is there were no needy persons among them because the church, when they saw a need, they met that need. Compassion led them to serve and to give and to sacrifice, deny self, take up their cross and follow Jesus. And they walked it out every day. They would even sell land so they could get the money and help the poor. So their focus was constantly outward. Even from the very beginning, church, there was persecution against the church. Okay, let's understand that. But even in the midst of that persecution, their constant focus was outward. It wasn't about me and my convenience and my lifestyle and am I happy today and do I have enough? Church, you're not going to be able to take your home or your car with you when you die. It's not about your house or your car and your 2.2 kids and, you, and, you, and the dishwasher and how nice the, all the technology is and you just need to speak and Siri or whoever in the house hears you and does exactly what you want it to, or whoever technology does, it is about the kingdom of God. And, and this is what we see in, throughout the book of Acts. The church was the church. And when people saw the church being the church, they stepped back and they say, wow, there is something about this group of people who follow Jesus that is so different. Well, the difference is now the spirit of God is in these people and changing them and how they live, and how they love, how they serve others. See, it's not about them and their conveniences and all that they can accumulate in life. It is all about the kingdom. And so what we see then is just this vision and moving forward and telling people about Jesus and living for Jesus. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says that when they would gather together, that People would minister to one another. The word was shared. They worshiped. And 
spiritual gifts were exercised to the degree where it says seekers, and here would be one of the goals, would fall down and say, fall down before you and say, surely God is among you. That, that's, church, every time we meet, that's my prayer. God, may your grace be poured out as we meet so that an unbeliever would say in their hearts, God is here. God is here. They, they can see it. It's, it's tangible in how people are devoted in worship and how people love and serve one another. Maybe even ask them, hey, how can I pray for you, even if they're an unbeliever? The church is the church. That is the ultimate attractional model that Jesus set for us. Again, I'm not opposed to the entertainment, but our focus has to be Jesus. It has to be. Lives being changed by the power of God. I don't know all that Barnabas saw when he saw God's grace in their midst, but I know that what he saw was changed lives. Maybe God did some miracles. Not at his hand, perhaps. Maybe at others. I mean, it wasn't just the apostles that was that were healing people and do, doing miracles, church. We, we read about Stephen. We read about Philip. They weren't apostles. They weren't even elders. They had bare, barely just become deacons, and they were doing miracles. God was using them. And so may our prayer be, God, everywhere I go, and, and especially when we meet together, may your grace show up. May people be able to see it, whatever, however you choose to display it. But God, show up and, and touch people's lives and change them. And, you know, as I'm preaching even tonight, I don't know what's going on in your heart. To what degree you're even understanding or thinking about the game tomorrow night or, or the picnic that you're having as a family tomorrow morning since we're not having church. Or, 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 or maybe as you're focused, you're, you're beginning to hear the Spirit of God speak to your heart about something very specific that I'm not even talking about. But God's using some of these words and the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. And that's not something I can control. But that would be the grace of God. And that's what I long for. Just, it's, it, and it's not just me, but it's as we do Bible studies and people give words of wisdom and knowledge and people's lives are changed by the grace of God in their midst. Our attitude of course, is not, Lord, wow, here we go again, moving again. We, we, church, we have, as a church, we've moved many times. Here's another one. Okay. I was just talking with someone who grew up as a military brat. Man, he moved like almost every year. We don't do that now, do we? Almost, but not quite. But here we go again, we're moving. But you know what? We're staying focused. God, fill my heart with compassion so that I am available and wanting to meet needs and at least pointing people to Jesus, if not telling them the good news of the gospel. Lives, by God's grace, being changed.
This coming Tuesday, Meredith mentioned 7 o'clock here, we're going to talk about and pray about what we can do to reach the community around us. We did a little bit of this back in November, but it was more for the four churches, the church collective that we're, we're trying to collab- corroborate with and, and for God to use all four of us, our churches. This is going to be for us as Powerline. God, how can we serve our community? I want you to be praying about that. Please don't expect me to come up with all the ideas. I'm just not an ideas person. I'm not. My wife is an ideas person. Some of you are ideas persons, people. But we're going to get together. We're going to talk. We're going to pray. We're just saying, God, lead us. Show us what we can do to impact the the communities around us. We want to live the gospel. We want to be the church. This is what we want to do. When we see a need, we go and we seek to meet it. Let me close with this. A few weeks ago, um, Juliana and I were getting ready to go to a Wednesday night meeting. She heads out the door before me. I'm right behind her, and she says, Dad? And I'm, uh-oh, what happened? And I step out, yeah, what, hon? And she says, there's a man laying down on the ground in the, in the cul-de-sac, and there's a cul-de-sac that's across the, our, from our house. And I see there's a man laying on the ground, and there's a dog near him. What? So I run over there. I don't know what's happened. And apparently that night, his dog gave the owner a, a, a walk. The, the dog took the owner for a walk. Uh, it was more of a run. And as soon as the dog got out the door, it jerked on him. And he tried to gain his footing. But by the time he reached the street, he fell headlong onto the street. And he was groaning in pain. There was, he was scraped up on his hands and on his elbow. His name is Tony. And I'm going to tell you how I know that name in just a moment. But I, I'm, I'm asking him, what, what can I do for you? Can you know, help me roll over? No, nope, that hurts. And I, I don't know what to do. And so finally I say, he, he tells me his name. His son is there. His son's on the phone calling the ambulance. And I say, Tony, can I pray for you? And he says, he looks up, and yeah, and I just pray for him. And the ambulance comes, and I guess takes him away. We had to leave, but he was, he was fine. We could hear the ambulance coming. And I said, Tony, I want to keep in touch with you. I, I stopped by twice, about 6 o'clock. And I could not hook up with him. I managed to talk with his son. Meredith's birthday party was this past Wednesday. Starts at 7, about 7.30 that night, I get a knock on the door. And I'm thinking, I mean, they know the policy here. You don't knock on my door when there's a party. You just come in. And, and May says, Pastor Mike, I, I don't think I recognize these people. Oh, that's what it is. So I just go to the door, and it's Tony. Tony broke his hip. They had to put a pin in his femur. Because right where it joins the hip, it broke. He came to my front door in a walker with his wife. And he said, are you the man that prayed for me when I fell? And I said, yeah, yeah. He said, and and my son said that you stopped by. And I wasn't there. And I said, yeah, actually, I stopped by a couple of times and you weren't there. But you're finally here and I get to talk with you. How are you doing? And we, we made a connection. And he said, Mike. I've not been to church 
for two and a half years now since we moved to Orlando, and we're looking for a church. And I just wanted to say thank you for praying for me, and I would love to be able to sit down with you real soon, maybe not tonight, and just talk with you about the Lord. And there was that opportunity in a crisis situation, and and I'm not a crisis person, by the way. I'm just not. That's not me. You know, if, if, if you break your hip, you don't want to call me to come pray. You, you, you want to find someone who knows medically how to take care of you because I'm going to go, but I, I don't know what to do right now. Okay, I just don't. And so God just said, just pray for him. And somehow that really touched his heart deeply. And he came in a walk, with a walker to my front door to say thank you. And I really appreciate you praying and I want to get to know you. Wow. So I said, you know what? We're having a party, and there's plenty of food in here. You're more than welcome to join us. And he said, oh, no, no, no. You guys enjoy your party, but let's talk later. So I pray for Tony. I've been praying for him ever since that day. Just an opportunity to, in some little way, impact his life. You know? How simple was that? I want us... Right now, we're going to close in prayer. But I want us to ask that question. Okay, God, life always seems to be in flux, doesn't it? But what do you want me to do now in in this season of my life? How can I be so filled with the compassion of Christ, even when I'm moody? This past week, guys, I've been moody. I've just been grumpy. A lot of pressure. I didn't sleep too well last night. Got about maybe, for me, six hours isn't much. And I, I just, for some reason, only slept six hours. And this past week, I've been kind of grumpy. And if I've been kind of grumpy to you, can you please just forgive me? Um, I know I've been grumpy to my wife. It's like, man, the, the other night I put my head down and just say, Lord, whatever's going on here. I know I'm, you know, lots going on. Come back, a lot of work at work, which was great. But stuff, a lot of stuff is happening. And you know what, Lord? Just settle my heart. But even in the midst of that, can I just tell you, when we're just honest with the Lord, he loves to step into all of that grumpiness of yours and use you. So if you're grumpy today, get ready. If your heart's with, with the Lord seeking after God, he wants to use you today, even in the midst of your grumpiness. Because when you're weak, see, that's when he's strong. All right, can you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you. Because... All, all of this, all that we're seeking to do, that this is our focus in life, whether it's with our children, our neighbors, or whoever, our workplace, we are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because Jesus, it's all about you. And I'm just asking you, Father, help us make today all about Jesus and tomorrow and the next day. May we be Jesus-focused. And Father, I just pray that there would be the presence of your spirit here every time we meet, every time we're in our home, every time we are seeking your kingdom and in somehow trying to make Christ known, may people be able to see your grace at work. I'm begging you, I'm pleading you, God, I'm pressing in. Let us as a church see your grace, God. Pour it out upon us, Father. We cannot do this. We cannot live powerfully in Jesus' name and daily walk in the authority that that you've given us in Jesus' name. 
apart from your grace. Help us, God, and change people's lives. We plant, we water, but you bring the increase. Would you do that, God? Whatever needs to change in here, would you do it? But God, we appeal to your grace in this move, in this transition, as we move forward. Let us see it, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.